You are now entering the Nintendo Power Zone. Now you're podcasting with power. Party, and I'm your host, Nice193, and normally, Nice1 is the host of the show, but guess what guys, today, I'm actually taking the lead for this episode, it is a Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Extravaganza, and just like the last episode that I took control of, which was a few years ago, it is a top 10 episode yet again, so, I'm really excited to get into it, um, before that though, Nice1, we're just going to hit you up with our social media links first this time. Guys, you know you can hit me up at Nice1983 on Twitter. You can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. Don't forget to check out this YouTube page, youtube.com slash user slash the article. T-H-A-A-R-T-I-C-L-E. And if you want to hit me up on Twitter, it's at Mario After Party. Or you can email me at theafterpartysound at gmail.com. Also, guys... If you like the music of the show, remember to look up Game Chops on YouTube for some great video game remixes. You can also find his stuff on GameChops.com or even iTunes. Alright, with that said, let's just get right into it. Um, the man with the most expertise on this news story, I'm just going to let him take it away. Nice one. Nintendo dropped some big news about E3. Yes, guys, it's my favorite time of the year. This is like Christmas before Christmas. E3. Guys, listen to last year's episode. We discussed Nintendo's history at E3. And it looks like Nintendo's trying to make history yet again. New console, new mentality. So, this year, instead of getting the digital presentation that we've gotten accustomed to for the past few years, minus last year, what we're getting this year is the Nintendo Spotlight. So the way they broke this down is on June 13th at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, tune in to e3.nintendo.com for a look at Nintendo Switch games for 2017, including Super Mario Odyssey. So we know for a fact that this year they are going to be highlighting Super Mario Odyssey. I don't think that was ever really a question, but we know that that's their highlight. But they said games, plural. What else are they going to show? We have a little bit of speculation, and we're going to make some bold-ass predictions later on. At least I am. But that's going to be cool. Then, starting immediately after the spotlight, Nintendo's going to be doing the Nintendo Treehouse. I love Nintendo Treehouse. This is where they basically show us gameplay of all the games that they show off during their uh, digital presentation. And they also have developer interviews, which is key because last year was great with their Treehouse. We had Niantic there. We had, uh, you know, AGI Numa there to discuss Breath of the Wild, which was like the key game last year. We get some great stuff. That's where they unveiled the Sky Amiibos, and 
even though I thought those were cool initially, you know, the after, what we got after the fact was pretty piss poor, but those developer interviews that they do during the Treehouse Lives are really cool, and you can see that Nintendo has a really cool staff that does all these things. They work hard for these couple days where they do the Treehouse Live, and it's great. But I think the final thing they announced here is the most exciting. So for the last few years, Nintendo has made a habit of having tournaments. So they had that Smash Invitational uh, in 2013, and 20 no no I'm sorry 2014 and 2015 they had the Nintendo uh, the world championships the world championships thank you the world championships they went they took a year off but now we're coming back and I'm it's like the year off they're like we missed last year we're gonna do something double this year so there's going to be a Splatoon Inkling Invitational which is very cool I guarantee you the winners of the uh, Battlefield tournament last month will be participating as part of this Invitational. And we're having an arms open invitational. Very cool. Both of these are going to be broadcast on this uh, e3.nintendo.com. It's going to be very awesome. Nintendo's trying to make some history here. They're definitely trying to win E3 with these plans. I mean, typically I think Nintendo usually, win, in my personal opinion, I think they normally win E3 because they always have like the games that I think are going to be more fun. But this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I kind of wish we were going to be there. And it's unfortunate that this is the first year that's open to the public. And yeah. we're both broke. <laughs> well, I am excited that Mario Odyssey is going to be the, the focal point of, of this um, you know event. Because they're also going to have a playable version, a playable demo of Mario Odyssey. So we're going to actually get to see gameplay footage of the game which is really cool, um, but with that said, you know, Nintendo always has some surprises for us, and we know that there's going to be a whole lot more than, than Mario Odyssey this year. It's not going to be like last year where it really was all about Breath of the Wild. Nintendo's going to have a more robust lineup, so let's get down to it. What are your predictions as far as what we might see as far as a, a lineup of either first party or maybe even some third party games at E3. Alright, so I'm always going to operate on the suspicion that Nintendo has no third party support despite the fact that they seem to have a good amount right now. So I went ahead and I delayed all third party support. I don't trust it. Especially with like, you know, EA still being kind of a major holdout. Once EA gets on board completely, then I'll, I'll truly believe anything a third-party developer says but right now I got some second-party developer stories here or predictions here Detective Pikachu will find its way on the switch that is my first prediction uh, Detective Pikachu came out in 2015 in Japan never came out in any other territory now Detective Pikachu is also an episodic content game and only the first part came out so the way I see it they stopped development on that game, not because sales were poor, because they were not poor. The, the game sold relatively well for an eShop title. I think it's because they want to hold it closer to the release of the Detective Pikachu movie. Yes, guys, there's some lackluster in my voice because I'm not excited about that movie. But I think Detective Pikachu will see the light of day just closer to the release of that movie. So I think they went ahead. They're going to up everything so that it looks great on the Switch. 
And hell, if it's a if it's only a Switch portable title, that that might even work even better because I don't think that game looks good enough that we want to see it on our TV screens. And it just might be the perfect portable game for the Switch. Right now, I don't think there's enough differentiating the line the the, the games that are on the Switch right now. There's there's no real incentive to take your Switch on the go just yet. Now, personally, I use my Switch more on the go, but I don't think there's a killer title that says, go out and play with your Switch. Not yet, at least. Mario Kart comes close, but it's not it's not that title yet. Um, my second one, this is probably my biggest prediction in all my predictions, but another second-party game. Pokemon Z for Switch. I know everybody thinks that Pokemon Stars, or Twilight like we like to call it here, is coming to the Switch. They're going to announce that at E3. I think not. I think it's too early. I do want to give reasons for why I think Pokemon Z is coming out. We know that at some point during the X and Y generation, they had started development on Pokemon Z. Then Pokemon Sun and Moon came out and threw us off for a loop. But I don't think it's that suspicious. If you look at the team who developed Pokemon Sun and Moon, it was the younger Game Freak staff. We have not heard of any projects done by the you know the older staff that has made all the other games prior. I think at some point Nintendo came to them and said Pokemon X and Y are the biggest games you guys have done. We have a new console. We want that game for our next console, the portable you know console hybrid. And I think that's what the older development staff has been working on. I think they've been working on a version of Z for the Switch. I think we're gonna see that at E3. Now typically the Pokemon Company has never announced a game at E3, with the exception of the first Pokemon game. No other game has been announced at E3, but I think Nintendo is really asserting their control over you know, the Pokemon Company. I mean, they do own 33% of that company. They get to call some big shots, and I think Nintendo is really saying, this is where we have to announce this game. This is where we build confidence. We need this to be a showstopper. So I definitely think we are going to see Pokemon Z. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it doesn't hurt. Shit, it's E3. This is where we make our big wishes anyway, right? Yeah, that's so that's, that's part of the fun, though, right? Um, we get to make some predictions. We try to base them off some sort of facts or information that we've got along the way that we, we can use to kind of back it up. But... You know, part of the fun is just is just throwing out that that um, that crazy prediction and, and seeing what happens, and uh, that's that's part of the surprise of of all the Nintendo directs. Is we always know that we usually get a, a pretty cool Nintendo surprise, and it's no different at E3. We know that Nintendo's going to drop something on us that that everyone's going to get real hyped about. Exactly. All right, so I got a two-in-one prediction. Okay. Retro Studios. They said they're working on a game for the Switch. We don't know what that game is. So my two-in-one is Retro Studios is either going to make a fourth Metroid game in the Prime series. You know, obviously they did the first three great games for the GameCube and for the Wii. But they also made the Donkey Kong Country Returns series. So for my two-in-one, I have Retro either working on a real Metroid game or working on a you know, the third game in their Donkey Kong trilogy. Now, either one of those games would be fine for me. I'm leaning more towards Metroid. 
because uh, we definitely got to get Samus some love. Totally missed the Metroid 30th anniversary last year. Now we, we got to get it back. Do you think it's going to be a a Metroid third person type shooter, or do you think it's gonna it's gonna go towards more like a, a action platforming type game? Well, with the Prime series, it's always been a first person shooter, but with the Switch's new infrastructure, especially its online infrastructure, I'm expecting this to be an over the shoulder third person shooter game. Uh, it's you know like uh, you've like Splatoon. The, yeah, like Splatoon. Well, more more like uh, Grand Theft Auto. With you know over you know where you're like over the shoulder instead of directly behind the character, more like a Gears of War style game where like you're always looking at the character from a slight angle. Okay. I think we're gonna see it, and it's usually because it when you know, most video game characters are right-handed, so when you're looking, you're always looking at them from you know with their their shooting hand out. So when they're leaning to shoot, it doesn't look as odd. So more of a Gears of War style Metroid game with some online capabilities. That's what I want Retro to be working on. That's what I like. That's what I like. Exactly. That's what I would like. I'm going to pin my hopes on that because this is the first time that Retro's really going to have an online structure that can support a game like that. And hell, Retro has already got like the story shit down with Metroid games. They know how to tell a great Metroid story. They know how to do Metroid gameplay great. And basically, they took Metroid from a you know a side-scrolling game into a first-person shooter. I think it's time to revolutionize that franchise again with a third-person over-the-shoulder shooter. So I think that's what we get from Retro. I, I really hope that's what we see there because, damn, they really haven't made a game since Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. And I'm like, you only made one game. And it was critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah, but they only made one game for the Wii U, and that... Retro is... That's one of Nintendo's key players in their second-party franchises. Like, that... That's like the new Game Freak for them, because everything they do is kind of gold. So, for them to not have so much of a presence on the Wii U, I think was painful. Now, I know they did get pulled away from a lot of projects to help co-develop Mario Kart 7... Uh, they they added that Donkey Kong track that you love so much. Uh, they did they did a lot of stuff for Mario Kart Seven. Basically, they helped make that game come out on time. But I don't think what they're doing is enough. And I know that Nintendo has had issues with Retro's uh, work ethic in the past. Like they basically had to rein them in a few times. Really? During the Metroid, during the when they were working on the Metroid Prime series, these are guys with big imaginations, and. They let their imaginations run wild, so they've actually had to send people from Nintendo of Japan to rein them in so that they could get a game accomplished on time. It's not the first time that Retro is not doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. But they make... It's the thing, is like, how mad can you get at them? They churn out hits every time. Alright, now guys, those are my bullet predictions. I am going to rein things in a little bit, things that I think we're going to see... At E3 this year. Start with Pokemon Tournament Arcade Edition. Not a Deluxe Edition. Arcade Edition. Pokemon Tournament. Great fighting game. Uh, it, it was at EVO last year, guys. I mean, it has a chance. It, it's, it's one of these fighting games that is very well put together. And it's made by the people who make Tekken. They know how to make a fighting game. Pokemon Tournament was a great game that didn't get the support 
in the console that it got in the arcades, which is odd. It's very odd that the arcade version got so much and the console version got so little. I think we're going to see an arcade edition on the Switch, and I hope they call it arcade edition. Like, let's not use that deluxe brand too much. Right. I, I mean, I, we've discussed this in the past where Nintendo really does have to draw a fine line with how much they port from the Wii, and, and the Switch is getting a lot of positive press about how a lot of um, fans who did not have a Wii U now all of a sudden want all these games ported over, but if you did have a Wii U, you're going to feel kind of burned if, if the original lineup for the, for the Switch in the first six months is really all ports. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I think at this point, calling it a port machine, uh, it, you know, is not, is not accurate, but I don't think it would hurt the, the image of it anymore because everybody's so excited about the portability of it that people want to see this, but to the, the diehard Nintendo fans like us and, um, the other, what was it, like, 11 million people? 14 million. That, 14 million people that had a Wii U, you don't want to see, like every single game being ported over right away and so uh, I think yeah we we do we do gotta kinda get away from everything being called a deluxe version exactly yeah now kinda to argue against that point my final E3 prediction Smash Bros Smash 4 Deluxe already know Smash 4 Deluxe again another great great fighting game that got buried on Switch I'm sorry, buried on the Wii U that needs to come over to the Switch. I think it's actually important that this game come over to the to the Switch because Smash Four has dominated the tournament scene. Right, and you could arguably say that it, it was the most high profile Wii U game. Oh yeah, well, and it if we're if we're just talking about FGC period, Smash Four had the largest amounts of, of entrance at Evo for the last two years. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not chump change. There were over a thousand people playing in a Smash tournament more than once. Right on a on a console that people consider to be a failed console. Exactly. So I think that this is the game that you can go ahead and actually use the deluxe branding for this, and you can port it over to the Switch, and you can do it right. And the cool thing about the Switch is the setup is going to be a lot easier than it was to set up a bunch of Wii U's. Now, maybe, maybe not. I mean, uh, just depending on how they want to set, do a setup for this, uh, but I guarantee you LAN tournaments on the Switch are going to be far easier than than uh, they were on the Wii U. Just gonna, it's going to be better, and I don't, they don't really need to add anything either. Uh, Game of the Year edition, if you want. You know, all the DLC available on the cartridge, mm -hmm. all the stages, everything, everything that that came out after the fact, put it all on the cartridge, no DLC. Hell, if you can find a new way to add DLC to Smash, I would give Nintendo so much credit because that game is just so big and so chock full of so much wonderful shit that I couldn't imagine them being able to add more to it. So don't even try. Yeah, it's it's bloated with great content. Yeah, so like I said, they shouldn't even try. All they really should do, Game of the Year edition, just you know, put everything on it, make it a deluxe version, just like you did with Mario Kart 8. Tweak the online because still, even though it was better on the Wii U, it was still pretty bad. The lag was still very much an issue. So go ahead, 
use this new online infrastructure that you're building to create something great. Now, yes, there are going to be a lot of fighting games coming from Nintendo when you consider, you know, Pokemon Tournament, maybe Smash 4, and ARMS. Yes, but I'm making bold predictions. There's, there's still a possibility we don't see these games. I'm willing to bet that if we're going to see one of these two fighting games, it's Smash. But, fuck it. Nintendo has really made a commitment to the esports scene as of late with games like ARMS, games like Splatoon, games like Pokemon Tournament, games like Smash. This is a good direction for Nintendo to be going in. They have the games now. So, go ahead. Release as many of these esports titles as, as you can. So, I would like to see these games come over. And those are my bold-ass E3 predictions. After party, what do you got, bro? Alright, so, for my predictions at E3, I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, I got three things. First... As far as the uh, Splatoon tournament is concerned, I think they're going to show us a new mode. I think they're going to show us uh, a new ranked mode that's going to be part of that tournament. I don't think it's just going to be uh, a Turf War only tournament. I think they're going to show us something uh, new because I, I don't think that they're, they're going to come back with... Um, with just having the uh, with Rainmaker and uh, Splat Zones and Tower Control, I think they're going to give us something new to give us a little more hype before that game comes out in July. Um, and then I do think we are going to get a Pokemon game for the 3DS. Uh, as far as whether or not it's Pokemon Z or Pokemon Twilight, as we like to call it here, I think it actually... It, it could go either way. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just um, and say Pokemon Twilight for the 3DS, uh, not for the Switch. And then as far as Smash or Pokemon, I was really conflicted on it because I don't think Nintendo is going to show both. I think it's just going to be one or the other. You're either going to get information about Smash or you're going to get information about Pokemon because... Nintendo, even though the Switch is a hit, I still think they do kind of have to be a little careful about how they bring us some of these enhanced versions over from the Wii U. And uh, I think the easiest way to do it would, would just go to be to go ahead and give us a new Pogan game because there's content that we weren't able to have on the Wii U, sadly, even though it was really hyped up that they were giving us all these new characters. Like you said, they could give us an arcade version of Pokemon Tournament, and it would get away from it being like a deluxe version because a lot of the content was never able to be played on the Wii U. Um, and so I think we're going to get information about Pokemon, and it's going to be either like a Pokemon arcade-style game or maybe even a direct sequel, which... It would be unusual because the game did come out last year, 2016, but if they announced it for like the holiday season, I don't think it would be completely outside the realm of what Nintendo's capable of giving us um, it's, you know, it's for, for a direct sequel. So I think I'm going to go ahead and say that we're going to get um, a new Pokemon game. 
and I think Smash is just going to be left out in the cold. I don't think we're going to get any love for Smash at E3. I think they're going to wait till later in the year to discuss Smash. The community prides itself on being able to, to thrive and survive without Nintendo's support. And I don't think Nintendo has to worry about like Smash for um, like the community you know, not being able to, to still maintain that, that high-profile um, tournament scene just because it's not on the Switch. Because we've already seen with Melee, there are people who still bring their, their old-ass TVs and their GameCubes around everywhere they go, and Melee has just as much support as Smash 4. So I think Smash 4 is going to get put on the shelf a little while longer because I think it's harder to bring Smash 4 over to the Switch without it being a direct port because you really can't um, add anything else to it. It would be difficult to add content that wasn't already on the Wii U version. It's not like Mario Kart 8 where there was a huge hole in the game when they decided to, to give us a half-hearted battle mode, which really wasn't a battle mode at all. Uh, in this game giving us that, that battle mode was a huge addition, and we're going to discuss that later on in the episode, which really added a, a lot to the game that you couldn't get on the Wii U version. And so uh, also with, with the double item mechanic, it, it changed enough about the game to make it worth buying a second time for me. And I don't think you could change enough about Smash to make me say, well... Why would I buy it again? I already have it on the Wii U. See, now I want, I just want to interject something here. Something that I wanted to mention that I kind of slipped my mind through my just general excitement. I think if you're going to do a Switch version of Smash, take advantage of the fact that it has portability and take all the content that was put on the 3DS version and also toss it in there. 3DS version has some stages that were exclusive to the 3DS and a certain mode that was exclusive to the 3DS. If you can take the, the mode and the stages from the 3DS and toss them into a Switch port so that you get the best of both games, because as similar as they are, I mean, they're virtually identical. There are differences between the 3DS version and the Switch version. You take them, put them into one game, then totally worth you know the you know the third purchase on my on my behalf at least yeah for for me um i don't think i would i would purchase it right away i think that if they came out with a direct port even if it included uh the stages on the, the 3ds version i have both versions so for me i probably would hold off on getting smash un until maybe a few months down the road because to me it wouldn't and I think to a lot of Wii U owners, it just wouldn't justify another purchase because there's not as much you can do with it as like like they could with Mario Kart 8, and and especially with Pokémon. Mario Kart 8, they added something totally new. Pokémon, even if they didn't add anything new, there's still content that Wii U owners could never have access to unless you had a Pokémon tournament. Um, arcade machine somewhere near you where you could get access to that uh, the DLC characters. So, um, and, and I don't know how they would do a Smash 
five if, if they decided to do a, an actual sequel for it. Because when did when did Smash Four come out? 2013, 20, 2014. 2014. So if they if they were to announce a direct sequel, you know, it's already been three years. I think that that's long enough to to get a direct sequel, especially if they announce it for twenty eighteen and it's going to be four years. I just think they're going to wait. Um, and do like maybe a special Smash Direct that highlights just Smash by itself, and they're gonna they're gonna use E3 to to go ahead and 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 highlight some some other maybe lesser known titles for for that, and uh, and so I think it's it's really just gonna be I think a Pokemon tournament surprise maybe, uh, but that's that's all I've got for. For my predictions for E3, um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they were all wrong, but <laughs> you never know. Um, before we move on, guys, we're going to do a giveaway this month, and we're going to tie it to E3 predictions. So from now until the day before E3, we're going to run a contest. Whoever has the most best out-of-the-box E3 prediction hits us up on either Twitter or our Facebook page. So there are multiple ways you can hit us up on Twitter, at nice 983 or at Mario After Party, or you can go ahead and hit us, on, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. Whichever one of those methods you hit us up on, and you have the best E3 prediction, the most out of the box, again, that neither of us have predicted for E3, we're going to go ahead and we're going to determine whoever wins you guys are going to win an awesome little prize pack. So I know the table is a little cluttered today, but if you can see it, we went ahead and we got all eight of the Super Mario Bros. Happy Meal toys. All eight. This came out of my pocket. So, and it was a struggle to get all eight. Trust me, guys. But we have all eight of them here on the table. That's the first part of the prize. And the second part of the prize, I'm actually wearing one around my neck. So what we have here are these light-up Mario and Legend of Zelda necklaces. These are just for fun. Go ahead, wear them out. I'm wearing mine. I've worn mine out a few times in public. It's a lot of fun. They basically just flash and flicker in the dark, and it's just fun as hell. So, you hit us up with that prediction, guys. The best one will win the prize pack. It's a lot. Of, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, all this came out of my pocket, but we want to have way more listener support from you guys, so we're going to incentivize you for it. We're going to give away stuff for your for you guys to, you know, just get out there, get loud with us. We want to hear more of it. So hit us up. That's what we want. But uh, after party, go ahead and take over the reins, brother. So for our final news story, I just want to uh, mention the, the story about how Rhyme, um, the developers decided that they would actually, after saying that the, the prices on the eShop would be the same as the physical price. It's actually going to be $10 cheaper. Now, we've already seen this happen with Puyo Puyo Tetris being $10 cheaper, and we have seen, if you are an Amazon Prime member, you know that, that you can get um, a lot of the uh, Switch games for $10 off if you order them through Amazon. So, uh, and, and that's... Um, that's a way that I know a lot of people ordered their uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe through through Amazon. Um, now, this is going to kind of 
upset the brick and mortar retailers a little bit because we're already starting to see a trend where the the digital versions or a version that even a physical copy that you can buy online is going to be significantly cheaper. All right, so um, Tequila Works is trying to justify this by saying, hey, we're actually going to give you a download code for the soundtrack if you buy the physical copy to increase the value of it. Now, whether or not that's going to increase the value to justify paying an extra 10 bucks, I don't know. I don't know how good the soundtrack for Ryan really is. If, if it's one of those really great iconic soundtracks, it might actually be worth it for some people. But I think that that's kind of... Um, it's probably all they really could do, but at the same time, it's kind of a, a cheap way of, of saying, look, it's it's worth $10 more when it probably really isn't. Um, and so this story, um, it doesn't, it's not really getting a lot of attention in the press. And I wanted to bring it up because it does pose a greater question, which I don't think enough people are talking about, which is, one, is this going to be a problem for Nintendo Switch games where the physical copies are going to be $10 more than the eShop versions? Or if, if Nintendo doesn't want to completely, you know... Um, rock the boat with their brick-and-mortar retailers, are they just going to charge us $10 more? Are we going to have to pay more money to get these Switch games? Are we going to be paying $60 for a lot of games instead of $50 or $50 instead of $40? Um, you know, that's, that's one issue that I think is going to come up more and more because we're, we're only two months into the lifespan of the Switch, and we're already seeing this pretty frequently now. Um, and the second question, which is um, a little bit further off in the distance, um, is that does this kind of indicate a trend of video games just going digital anyway? Are video games eventually going to get to the point where the manufacturing costs are just, it, it's just going to make sense for um, people to buy everything digital, especially as technology increases and storage space on our, the hardware that we use to play games gets larger and larger and larger and able to better accommodate this, the, the, the space needed to download these games is, you know, and, and that's, that's more of a question for like, um, you know, like maybe like three to five years down the road if this is really going to affect physical sales of games. But I, I want to ask, you know, you the fans, if you guys want to email us, you know, um, like I said, hit me up on Twitter at Mario After Party, or you can email me uh, the After Party Sound at gmail.com. Really, the first question is is the most important one: Is this going to be an issue for Nintendo Switch games? Nice one. What do you think about that? All right, I actually have a couple thoughts on this. So the first one is the Nintendo tax. This is a low-key phrase that has been getting tossed around when it comes to the cost of the physical Switch cartridges versus digital and comparing 
the physical and the digital prices to other consoles. Rhyme being the key culprit, Rhyme was thirty was going to be thirty dollars on the PlayStation Store and the Xbox uh, Store. So they were always going to retail at thirty dollars on those other consoles. Uh, now, in order to not upset the brick and mortar, you know, Tequila Works was going to charge the equal price, so it's going to be forty dollars for the cartridge. So what ties this into the Nintendo tax is there's a cost infrastructure based on the size of the cartridge. I was reading this article uh, that Nintendo had done an interview with somebody that basically broke down the cartridge space sizes that they had available. So it started at one gigabyte and it went up to 25 gigabytes being like the highest cartridge that they have. So they have a, a single cartridge that can store 25 gigs? Yeah, they have a single cartridge. That's huge. Yeah. Do you know what Breath of the Wild was using? Breath of the Wild was like 17 gigs. So was it, was it on the 25 gig cartridge? I, I would I would assume so. So the the breakdown was it was a very good breakdown, and I really I bookmarked the article somewhere. I really wish I had it for this specific topic that we're talking about now. But it broke down how much the memory was associated to the cost of that particular cartridge. So the 25 gigabyte cartridge cost something like. Fifteen dollars to manufacture, versus the you know the the one gigabyte cartridge only costing about three dollars. So, it's a it was a rising pay scale based on the memory of the cartridge. And now people have been dubbing that the Nintendo tax because developers are going to want it because the game development is expensive. But then when you have to add to the fact that the developer is also going to have to eat the manufacturing costs of said cartridge. Because Nintendo is not going to pay for that. They've never done that in their history. When a developer, this goes back to the NES days, they break it down in console wars. When a developer wants to order, you know, place an order, they have to pay Nintendo for the manufacturing of that cartridge. Now add that in with the cost of game development, video games become a lot more expensive with cartridges being the physical media that we're producing these games on. Thus, the, the word Nintendo tax, because now they're going to up the charge of the game to recoup the cost of the manufacturing because they don't want to lose any kind of money. Right, which is bad for us, the, the, the fans and, and the consumers, because as, as Switch owners, then we will have to pay more for games. So that could be an issue. And it also worries me because it's like one more... You know, Nintendo's been trying really hard to win back their third-party support, and I think for the most part, third parties are kind of excited about the potential of the Switch because the games are selling well, the software. Like, um, even games that were not, like, uh, critically acclaimed, like Bomberman, which, which kind of had mixed reviews, sold half a million copies. It sold over 500,000 copies, which is it's one of the best... Uh, selling Bomberman titles in the in the franchise history, so software is doing good. But is you know I worry that this might hurt Nintendo's relationship once again with third party developers because it's like we got to spend more money to make games for you, and and some people are are going to probably say, well, I just I, I don't want to deal with that. We're just going to make games for Xbox and and um, PlayStation, and this kind of goes back to. Um, Nintendo's first great rift with with third party support when you had a a similar um, kind of 
shift uh, in medium. Shift in medium in the video game industry. Thank you. Where um, when the PlayStation One came out, we we had a shift from cartridges to CD format, and the cost associated with the cartridges was much higher, which is part of the reason why Nintendo lost Square Enix as a second-party developer. Square Enix used to make games exclusively for Nintendo, and a lot of people kind of forget that Square was actually a second-party developer, and because Nintendo already really didn't have a, a great relationship with its third-party developer, third-party and second-party developers, mostly third-party, because of their um, strict policies, Square was like, you know what, guys, we're, we're not going to, you know, if you're not going to back us up on some of the costs, we just, we're not going to make games for you anymore. And that was like a huge deal because, you know, Final Fantasy VII came out on the PlayStation 1 and that like revolutionized RPGs. And it just started development on the Super NES. That's the craziest part. That game was going to be a Super NES title and moved to the PlayStation. And, and now... We are kind of seeing a shift where um, we're kind of going from CDs back to cartridges, and not just in the video game industry, but if you look at the flash-based storage um, on some of these uh, smartphones, especially with Samsung, you can have a small little microchip with 128 gigs of storage that you can just put in, into some of the models of the Samsung phones, and, and you have all this extra space. So... The, we're kind of going in a cycle where now it's it's actually starting to um, be a little bit easier to to put more on a cartridge than a in a disc. But it's you know the manufacturing costs right now are still higher, and it just it's it's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic to to try to keep an eye out. Yeah, to go, to take this even further, guys. Plastic is one of the most expensive things to manufacture right now. Even the smallest amount of plastic costs a lot of money. These cartridges are made out of plastic. And then when you break down, we're, we're, we're putting in large amounts of memory. 25 gigs, is that's a lot of memory. You know, Think about what you could do with an extra 25 gigs on your computer or on your phone. That's it's no chunk change. You start adding in these smaller costs, and the cost of production on a cartridge it becomes, it, it, it goes up, and I, you brought up a point, though. You thought they would only make games for, like, PlayStation or Xbox. I don't think that's the case. I think what happens is is we start to see Nintendo force a shift in medium yet again. Right now, digital sales are good, but they still don't account for the majority of video game sales. Physical sales are still outpacing digital format, the digital format, but... On a console like the Switch, we may begin to see the the medium shift in a way where the digital the digital version becomes more enticing to the consumer because they're going to save money. And in that way, Nintendo completely forces a shift, shuts out, and not through their own fault. This isn't an intentional. This isn't by design on Nintendo's part. This will be the developers making the decision that. Yeah, we want to release a game on the Switch. We definitely do. But we don't want to eat that manufacturing cost. Now, that's the thing. Nintendo likes to get that little extra guap for the manufacturing cost. Don't get me wrong. Nintendo likes that. But if they keep, if the 
Nintendo tax, and I'm using air quotes because it's not a freaking tax, it's just the cost of production, guys. But if developers want to start making games exclusively digital, then that's their, for the Switch at least, that's their right. But then when that happens, we are going to see a shift in the dichotomy of how people consume video games. It's going to completely change everyone's mindset, and we're going to see a switch because once people start buying digital, I guarantee you most people who have a switch, it's not their primary console still. They're going to have probably a PlayStation, maybe an Xbox. They're going to have a secondary console at home. Once it becomes easier to make the digital purchase on one format, that's going to shift into the other formats as well. You're going to see people who only buy digital games on the Switch, and they're going to see the, the, the ease and the ease of use, and they're going to make the same kind of decision when purchasing games on Xbox and, uh, and PlayStation. And we're going to see the medium shift because of an unintentional consequence that has happened through Nintendo, through the cost, through the production cost. We're going to see yeah. the industry shift. I think that's a really great point, actually, that there could be a shift in medium of how we, as a consumer, purchase video games. Um, because, you know, as much as, as cartridges are more expensive to produce, there are advantages to them. You know, and uh, one advantage is that part of the reason why I think so many people want to purchase digital copies anyway is because you can take the Switch with you anywhere you go. So that's that's one of the nice things is like, well, it's... It's on my system. I don't have to change out the games. Um, it's there. And physical space. Um, and, and, and the Switch, you know, it's, it's a 32 gig system, right? Yep. But that's enough to download a lot of the games that are in the eShop. I mean, even some of the, um, and I'm not just talking, indie games take up some of them virtually nothing. I mean, I downloaded Metal Slug, and I mean, that's like, I don't even know if it's 100 megabytes. Probably not. I don't even know if it's 100 megabytes. It's, but I downloaded Puyo Puyo Tetris, and that game is one gigabyte of space. So there's a lot of great games out there that you can get that aren't going to eat up all that memory on your system. And, and I think you're right. This could definitely prove to be a shift in medium. But it, it, you know cartridges themselves are portable anyway. They're, it's easier... If, if you went and bought five Switch games and, and you wanted the physical copies, to carry around five cartridges that are about the size of your thumb in, in a bag is a lot easier than carrying around five Blu-ray discs. Oh, almost definitely. You know, you can, you can carry them. You don't really need a backpack for that. You can have a small Switch bag and put those tiny little cartridges in there, and it just, you know, by nature, cartridges are a lot more easier to maintain as well because they don't get damaged um, as easily and there's obviously a protective coating around like the plastic the plastic yeah. around the the chips inside of it um, so I don't know it's just um, it's gonna be interesting to see if there is a shift towards cartridges or if if there's just a shift towards digital versions themselves and if this is going to prove to be an issue with third-party companies if this is going to prove to be an issue with Switch owners, or if this is just the way that video games are, are going, at, you know, and in, in five years, are we going to see more digital sales than physical sales? That's, you know, something that 
I think is within the realm of possibility. Well, there's one more added benefit just to going digital in general. Midnight releases. True, true. Mario Kart 8 was released digitally at midnight. And if you had that game, you know, pre-ordered at a brick-and-mortar store, you had to wait until that store opened the next, you know, that, you know, that day. People were playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe online and streaming at midnight. So it's, there is that added incentive of being, you know, possibly up to nine hours ahead of the curve on everyone else. You just get that extra time with the game, especially if you're excited about that game. The digital, the digital purchase becomes much more enticing. And, and I think it's kind of funny, too, because as much as people say Nintendo are, are kind of behind the curve when it comes to online technology, I think they're going to end up being the ones that push the digital sales and uh, of video games to kind of the forefront as far as being the norm. I, I agree with that, but I don't think it's through... I don't think it was an intentional way. No, it wasn't by design. It's not. It's, it's, just, it's just, you know, a chain of events and... and the circumstances surrounding it that are just, that's just kind of the, the way we were drifting a little bit before this happened. And this is, this might just be that extra push that kind of, because for me, I honestly was never, I never really considered downloading games digitally. I think for, for older gamers, especially the nostalgia of just having a physical copy is kind of nice. And, and for, for, Gamers that are like in their late twenties or and, and older, I think we kind of remember those days, um, you know, where where everything, you know, before the world became digitized, and 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 I am purchasing digital games on my Switch now, and honestly, it's been really convenient for me because even just not having to change out a cartridge sometimes, it just makes it that much easier for me to play. Agreed, and I think ultimately what it comes down to as far as the developer's perspective is, developers spent a lot of time in the 80s and 90s really being beholden to Nintendo. And we've, you know, since like 1995, they haven't had to be because, you know, the competition was a lot easier to develop on, the format was cheaper, and they started to eat less and less of these costs. And now Nintendo's kind of pushed us in the direction where for that physical medium, media, you become beholden to Nintendo. They don't want to go back to those. For the for the for developers, those were the dark ages of, of developing video games, and they're not trying to go back into that circle. No, and and as much as I do say that it could be an issue for third party, I I mean major third party titles. As far as indie publishers, this is almost like a godsend because they don't have to go through the middleman. They don't have to go through Target or Walmart or Best Buy and and split some of their profits with them. There are a lot of games in the eShop right now that are digital only, that you can only get digitally, and these indie developers are selling hundreds of thousands of copies of their games, and the only person that they have to split those profits with is Nintendo because they're basically going directly to the consumer. So it, from an indie perspective, which I know um, there are a lot of people who, who are really enjoying the the uh, indie boom of games that are coming out on the Switch, it, it's a very positive thing in, in that respect. Um, but uh, unless you have any final thoughts on this, I, I just kind of want to start getting into the, uh, the actual episode. No, no, I, I really don't. But it was definitely very interesting to discuss the dichotomy of, 
of uh, of these two these two principles, the physical versus the digital. I don't think uh, I don't think we've ever, or I don't think anybody's really putting that much thought into can Nintendo actually be the precursor to the shift in the medium when you know twenty five years ago, you know they were unwilling to bend when when the when that shift started, and now we're seeing an unintentional consequence. Of, of it. This is something that I'm not seeing any of these media outlets talking about. This is a pretty important point, in my opinion, and I just don't see a whole lot of articles on it um, or discussion right now, which is why I wanted to bring it up. I've only seen one, and and I was glad I was able to recall it because it was just one where basically they broke down the price of what each cartridge costs because I don't think anybody put any thought into it. Nobody thought... I think everybody just thought it was like cartridges back in the day, one size fits all, when it's very much not the case on the Switch. You know, there are different memory sizes, and each memory size determines the cost of the manufacturing. So Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. It's very cool that we uh, we got to discuss, like, the potential that, that uh, these costs may, uh, may incite. So very cool, but, yeah, I have no other thoughts outside of that. All right, well, let's just go ahead and get into our analysis of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It is a great game. We've both been having a lot of fun with it, but I kind of want to get into like our thoughts on the changes to the game. The biggest change um, overall is the addition of new battle modes and, and actual battle stages. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the five battle modes so far that, that we've been playing? Um... <laughs> There's five, right? Yeah. So what? So it's it's a renegade roundup, balloon battle, balloon battle, coin, coin runner, coin runner, shine thief, and balloon bomb, balloon up. You said balloon, balloon, bomb, bomb rush. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um. So my thoughts on it. First off, I want to applaud Nintendo for really listening to the feedback that they actually got from Mario Kart Eight. Mario Kart 8 was a really high-reviewed game on the Wii U, and it, it's the game that had the highest attach rate. 10 million copies of Mario Kart 8 were sold. Out of the 14 million Wii U owners, that's, <clears throat> that's like an 80% attach rate. That's a lot. And, uh, but there were some critical, you know... Complaints. There were, yeah, there were some critical complaints that were lobbied against Mario Kart 8, and it's because... In a sense, it was incomplete. They spent all this time tweaking the racing mechanics, uh, adding the, the new racing mechanic, which was the, uh, the hover mode, and they did so much to make the racing experience feel really good that they neglected the battle mode. Now, this is actually pretty interesting to me because Super Mario Kart, the original Mario Kart game, was developed exactly the opposite. The battle mode came first. When they made Super Mario Kart for the Super NES, they built that game around the battle mode, realized it wasn't enough for a full-fledged game, and then the racing came later. Completely opposite of how Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was, was done. And the other thing that's kind of really important to talk about here is Mario Kart 8 was rushed. That game wasn't ready, but it had to come out. It had no choice. 
when Mario Kart 8 came out, the Wii U was in a bad spot. Probably the worst spot it had been in. No third-party support. So many delays on, on games. And Nintendo completely underestimated how hard it would be to make games in high definition, and it fucked them. It messed them up. So when Mario Kart 8 came out, it was desperately needed. But because of that, you can see where things didn't get added to the game. And the battle mode is one of them. And it's insane to see just how bad that battle mode was. I, you know what? Just to the day before Mario Kart 8 Deluxe came out, I actually went online and I played an online battle just to see what it was like again. And it was so bad playing on those racing stages. There's just no thought put into it whatsoever. It was literally just tacked on, like, this is the best we can do with the time that we have. And it's quite apparent. It's quite apparent that the game was rushed. Maybe not as far as single-player modes are concerned and online racing are concerned, but definitely definitely rushed when it came to doing things that they have been able to do in previous Mario Kart games pretty flawlessly. The other thing I want to make note of is that out of all these battle modes that they added, there's only one of them that's new, and that's the Renegade Roundup. Now, that's not a big deal, because all these previous battle modes that we've had, they've been proven to be great. Like, Coin Runners uh, that came for Mario Kart DS. Uh, Shine Thief is from Mario Kart Double Dash. Uh, Balloon Battle has been there since Super Mario Kart. And uh, all these modes, they, they've, had, they've been in other Mario Kart games. This is the first time we've had them all in you know just one large encompassing setting and it's nice to see all of that and then you know to sweeten the pot we got the new mode of renegade roundup now mind you renegade roundup it's the basic cops and robbers mode but i i do feel like it's out of the five modes it is the least developed as far as uh what is fair to the player it's definitely easier to be a renegade than it is to be you know the cop in that game because to be, all you have to do as a renegade is just have one person survive that time limit. Whereas catching everybody can be a task, especially, you know, uh, the, the more actual people you play with. You know, they, you know, people think differently than CPUs and, you know, they might be a little bit more shrewd. And, you know, being, you know, the ability to break everyone out of the jail cell, it's actually not hard. You can actually break somebody out of the jail cell relatively easily. Uh, but... What I like about that mode is that it's definitely like got a team motif to it, so communication is definitely key for that specific battle mode, whereas the other ones are kind of all for one, one for all. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would say that there really isn't a bad battle mode. I, I've actually enjoyed all of them, and uh, you know, battle mode for me, it, I really did miss it on the Wii U version, and so I, it's what I've been playing the most with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Um, me and Nice One, uh, Drippin' Inc., um, Militia, a couple of other of our online friends in the Switch community, we've, all, we've been doing a lot of battle mode, and uh, I just can't tell you how much fun it is and, and how much I've missed it. It's, it's just been, it's been really great. And uh, Renegade Roundup, to me, you know, it's the only mode that is a team, it, it has to be a team mode the other modes it's optional whether or not you want to make teams for so it you know because this is the only mode that um 
that you have to be on a team for. It can be kind of frustrating uh, because this mode, you know, really requires voice communication more so than any of the other ones because of the team aspect. And if you don't have a familiarization of the map, where I'll, um, you know, not just the map itself, but the fact that in this mode you have to also know where the jails are um, because they're there's, I think there's two in every map. Except for you know, the classic battle stage. Yeah, one. there's one in the, in the center. And that's the easiest one because, because it's in the center of the map. But for the other maps, I think most of them have two locations. And it depends on where your teammates are trapped, which one you have to go to to break out. And if you're not familiar with the map and you're not familiar with the locations, it can be kind of frustrating, especially when there's no voice communication. So for me, it is the weakest of the new modes, but I have still enjoyed playing it, and I still think it's it's fun. It just, it's it's a little bit, it it really would benefit from Nintendo bringing out their, their online um, service so that we could actually talk to the people that we're playing with. Um, but, yeah, as far as, as far as battle mode is concerned, I, I really, I'm really overjoyed that it's back. Um, and I'm really happy with the new stages as well. Um, you know, as far as like any stages that stand out or, or maybe are, are a little lackluster, I can honestly say that after, after playing this game for um, almost 30 hours, um, I can honestly say that there is not a single bad stage in battle mode either. Um, but as far as stages that stand out to me, um, I am really liking the Dragon Palace. It, it, it's just, it's got a great layout with with kind of the the um, death pit in the in the center. And then if, you know, you want, you can drive, you know, break through the little, uh, the doors and, and go out into the, uh, the little um, courtyard. And uh, it's just, it's, it's got a great feel to it. Um, that, for me, is, is the stage that stands out the most. Yeah, I like that stage a lot, too. Um, aesthetically, it is it's, it's really pretty, man. Like, it takes everything that was present in the Dragon Driftway, and it kind of cranks it up to 11. Like, you have the, uh, the training grounds right out there. I mean, I love that, uh, especially in Coin Runners. I like when you're playing Coin Runners. You actually start in the training grounds, and you work your way inside and the same actually applies to shine thief as well on that stage where you start outside and then you kind of make your way inside trying to you know go for the gold uh, as far as the battle modes are concerned though every one of them I, I think is just brilliantly executed i mean they they all make excellent use of the stage design and when it comes to the stages i mean there is a nice selection i mean you have your courses like uh battle stadium dragon palace uh the Woohoo uh, Town and Luigi's Mansion that all have like key like stakeout points where like you can either hide and attack from above or you can just use in, in certain modes you can just use those areas to hide and and be safe. Then you have your other courses like SNES Battle Course, Urgent Underpass, uh, Woohoo Town that are like really massively open and you really don't have a lot of places to go. Uh, SNES Battle Course One, being the you know the 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 classic stage where there's nowhere to hide, 
No, I get um, sidelined on that stage a lot, especially because uh, we here at the Nintendo Power Zone like to put it on frantic items so that we get all the heavy hitting stuff, and it just some of our matches get a little crazy. Oh yeah, no, most definitely. But I mean, there's not a single bad stage in the bunch. I mean, they did a great job in doing what all Mario Kart games do is they 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 mix it up and take a handful of these retro stages they update them to fit into you know the the new mechanics of the game um which were great and i mean these modes are just so much fun like my favorite mode is actually bomb blast just because it's pure chaos, chaos especially with frantic items because it's always double item boxes right and there's just no escaping a sideline you it it really puts emphasis well at least the way we play it puts emphasis on really racking up those kills early on because you know you're going to get sidelined. You know you're going to lose half your kills or half your kills plus one. So you're going to have to start racking up those those uh, kills real early on in the in Bomb Blast. And it's just utter chaos. And if you don't embrace the chaos in it, you're not going to have any fun. But I love the chaos. I just love the chaos. It's In my mind, Bomb Blast really encapsulates what Mario Kart Battle Mode truly is and always has been up until, you know, Mario Kart 8. And this game really rectifies that, and that makes all of these battle modes stand out even more, especially if you started on Mario Kart 8. What I think is great, though, is for the newcomers, the people who buying the Switch for the first time, and they're not buying the DLC, and they're getting the battle mode at the same time, like, this game must appear massive to them. Right, I, and I thought about that. Like, the game, it, it really must, because if you didn't play it on the Wii U, you're, get, you're really getting a lot for your money. You're really getting a lot of content. Oh, yeah, no, and I, when I think about it, I mean, I bought both of the, the DLC packs, and I bought, you know, the game, and I had a lot of fun with it. But, I, you know, there's a different experience that I had playing on the Switch, and it's it's a, it's a lot more enjoyable because everything is there from the onset and then some. It's not just the DLC. It's not just the updated battle modes. There are new characters as well. There is just so much happening here, man. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm and I'm just I'm really happy too, like with with the selection of of the new content. Just to go back to the battle stages for a second, like I, you know, there are only three. Um, Retro courses. There's actually five new courses. We have Battle Stadium, Sweet Sweet Kingdom, Dragon Palace, Virgin Underpass, um, and Lunar Colony. Uh, and you know, I I just there's a lot of new stages that they're they're giving us. And and Urchin Underpass was cool because of the Splatoon feel. And I don't like Sweet Sweet Kingdom as a racetrack, but I, I like it as a battle stage. Lunar Colony is a little chaotic because of the you know, lack of gravity, but they did a good job in, in selecting the, the, the courses too. And like you said, with the characters, you know, they, um, they gave us a nice selection of new characters. Like they gave us King Boo, Dry Bones, Bowser Jr. And the Inkling Boy and the Inkling Girl. And then if you do unlock, um, everything, you get the, the gold Mario palette swap with, with Metal Mario, um, which, Brings us to the question: Who are you racing with? Uh, 
You know, I spent a lot of time in Mario Kart 8 racing exclusively with either Mario or Tanuki Mario. But since the inclusion of the Inklings, I have not been able to resist playing as the, you know, the ethnic slash Puerto Rican Squid Boy. Yeah, they gave us they gave us different um, skin colors of, of those avatars as well, which I thought was pretty cool. And I, I honestly, I see the Inklings like all over the online scene. They're they're everywhere. Well, it's not. It didn't just stop there, but it actually, you know, as you know, to fit into the into the design of Mario Kart, the Inklings actually got their own vehicles as well. You know, you got the Ink Striker, which looks like a freaking Ink Strike, and then you've got the other uh, the ATV with the Ink Tank on the back of it. Excuse me. And the Inklings just fit really well into the Mario Kart realm. And Urchin Underpass is great. They did such a great job of expanding Urchin Underpass. Now, if you guys are, if you just look at the map, if you were just to just put your, be by yourself, no other races, and you looked at the map, it is a one-for-one -one transition, minus a few of the obstacles that are on the course. You know, like some of the, uh, the, uh, the blocks that would be in your way, but it looks exactly like Urchin Underpass. Uh, the the splattered ink on the stage is a really nice touch. Now, it messed with me a little bit because in Mario Kart, you know, when you see like an oil spill, your first instinct is to drift away from it. Right, and this one, it it, it I noticed it slows you down, but only very very slightly. Yeah, it's it's just, but it, you won't spin out because of it. But it, it it's mentally it screws with me mentally. But it it's just so brilliantly designed and implemented into the game, and the Inklings actually fit. Uh, I do want to make note though that Inkling Girl has a very inappropriate pose when she hits you. Oh my I'm god! I'm like, oh, yeah. can she do that? And I had to take a picture of that shit and tweet it out because I'm like, that is inappropriate for a child's game, but it's so damn hilarious. Yeah, if you guys want to see that, go to Nicewing's Twitter uh, page. He's got some pictures of the uh, Inkling Girl being very rude, to say the least. Oh, yeah. No, she's basically saying up yours. And she's, like, giving you the finger. It's hilarious. Like, I'm like, uh, how did Nintendo get away with this? But, yeah, um, it, you know... Definitely, like, that That was a, a nice touch. It almost makes me really, like, yearn for a Splatoon racetrack now. Because I was like, oh, man, they gave us Urchin Underpass as a battle stage. Uh, you know, I really wonder what a Splatoon racetrack would feel like. Oh, man, they could totally do Salt Spray Rig as an A to B race. Yeah, I mean, they, they could. Um God, there's so much that they could do with uh, the Splatoon. No, and I love it. I mean, I, what I really like about it, though, is the implementation of Inklings into other games. And this is something we've seen in Animal Crossing. Now we're seeing it in Mario Kart. Uh, and it goes back to something Kimishima said uh, back in 2016, was that Splatoon had the potential to be as big as Mario. And this is one of those times where implementing the Inklings into other games be great and by the way you know if they did a splatoon race course that Callie Marie would be somewhere in that stage singing like maybe drive through Inkopolis Square and then during a splat fest where they're on top of you know the vans 
and they're doing their little show as you drive by. I can see it right now. As you just speed past them. And then there's like, go, go, go. Yeah, and with, with uh, TVs in the background showing, like, you know, all the racers' progress. and No, yeah, they could totally implement more Splatoon stuff. And I'm glad that they didn't go too hard with Splatoon. I mean, at the end of the day, Splatoon really does need to stand on its own two feet as yeah. its own game. But the inclusion of the Inklings is very nice. And it brings up something that I'm, I've been meaning to ask, and I think I'll do it here. Are we starting to see the smash the smashification of Mario Kart? Because we've now had Link, Villager, and the Inklings find their way into Mario Kart as a whole. I mean, I would say yes, and it's probably only a matter of time before the Inklings find themselves in, you know, in a Smash game. Oh yeah, no, almost that would be amazing, dude. Can you imagine the move set of an Inkling. Well, if if Nintendo does decide to go ahead and do a Smash game at E3, I have a feeling that we're going to see the Switch, the Switch have the Inklings on, on that version, so. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. It, it does need to stand on its own, so you don't want to, like, kind of oversell it. Um, how do you feel about the uh, being able to hold two items? Does, does, how does this change the game, and in your opinion, um, does this alter any racing strategies yes and no actually i mean yes in the sense that having two items means you can attack and defend uh much more frequently than you could uh in regular mario kart 8 but and this is a big but even though you can do that it's kind of not likely that you will i'm at I consider myself to be very proficient at Mario Kart in both online battles and online races. And due to the overall, even though you know you have this ability, there is a lot more chaos happening. Uh, double items also means double the chance to be hit, and also the bigger ability, you know, the bigger opportunity of being hit with something like a blue shell. It was very rare that you would get hit with more than one blue shell in Mario Kart 8, but in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, double items has increased the chance to be hit with blue shells. I've actually been hit with blue shells on, in an online race three times. Yeah, I, I would say it's not quite as bad as the Wii version, because in the Wii version, you can get hit three times in a single lap. lap. I mean, it was freaking crazy, it, to the point where it was like kind of, you know, hurting the overall experience of the game. This game... It's not, it's not quite so bad, but it definitely has increased, and I've seen a lot more lightning, too. Yes. Now, yeah, so it, it has varied. It, it has made... The change hasn't been, been as significant as I initially thought it would be. It's not quite as useful as I thought it was. It's nice because to have that, that second item, but what really hurts is something that you could do in Double Dash that you can't do in this game. In Double Dash you have the double item boxes, and you could cycle the items. Say you had bananas in the first slot, but you had a red shell in the second slot. You tap a button, those items would slot to the different, they would change position. Mm -hmm. That not being present in this version is sort of a hindrance because you instantly have to fire one of those items off. And it, it makes it, you have to think more about what you're going to do. So 
you don't always get a chance to use the item the way that you necessarily had planned to. So in, in that sense, it doesn't really change the mechanics too much racing online. I would say uh, I agree with that, uh, with the exception of the boomerang. Because the boomerang, because you get three shots with it, the moment that you, um, which it kind of trips me out sometimes, the moment that you throw it, it actually goes back into the second item slot and the other one comes up. And, and uh, I've had a lot of times where I've accidentally used, like I'll have a boomerang and a mushroom, and I'll throw that boomerang out, and then I'll try to throw it out again and realize I just accidentally used my mushroom. So the boomerang does kind of give you a little bit of, uh, you know, strategic options, but overall you're right. It does kind of, like, limit the, the use of being able to have two items when you can't switch um, back and forth. With the items themselves, though, we have um, the boo, which comes back so you can steal another player's item. And then the feather, which is only for battle mode, which allows you to jump over the player. It kind of has a similar effect of the mushroom that you would end up stealing their balloon. Um, or you could you could evade attacks with it. What are your thoughts on the new items? First off, I'm really happy to see the boom back. Uh, it's been gone since Mario Kart 64. And that's a long time. That, that's crazy. I did not realize that. Yes, it's Mario Kart 64. The game that it debuted in was the last game that it was in. It was a really good item. Um, on top of just the ability to steal, you know, weapons, it also makes you intangible, so that you cannot be hit, which is really key. Imagine having a boo when you're in first place. I swear to God, I got hit while I was. You're not supposed to be able to be hit, because um, uh, I've driven through stars. But imagine having a boo right as the blue shell is about to hit. You now have one more option to get away from the blue shells. And up to that point, you only had two. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're right. That gives you a third option. Actually, it's a fourth because you have a star, which is extraordinarily rare that you get a star in first yeah. place. You have boom the mushroom, the boom box. You have the, the super mushroom, which if you time it right, which means counting frames, that final frame right before you get hit, you can actually evade the blue shell. Yeah. I actually... Let's say five, because you can technically just keep doing it with the golden mushroom. Or you can, yeah, and you can suicide. I mean, because it takes less effort to drive off the, it's it's a shorter recovery time to drive off the stage than it is to actually get hit with the blue shell. Yeah. So, I mean, you have you have a few methods of evading the blue shell, but I think the, uh, the boo would be the most valuable because you don't have to slow down. You don't have to worry because you just, you're not going to take that. Now, again... I rarely get the boo in racing, you, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunate, fortunately slash unfortunately for us, we would have to be losing yeah. to get the boo. Even when I'm losing, I find that I get some of the other items more commonly than I get the boo. Uh, but I, I like the implementation of the boo. I'm glad it's back. Um, it's always funny to steal someone's item, especially when they get trip reds. Especially when it's one of your friends, and then you know who stole it because they're like, because then you'd be yelling, man, who stole my trip reds? And they'd be like, hey, I just got trip reds. <laughs> exactly. It's so much fun to steal an item. Um, and it's, you know, I just like the safety of the boot. I mean, it's, it's just so much fun to just whiz by people. They, they don't even see it coming. What's trippy, though, is when you're playing a battle mode and somebody activates a boot and out of nowhere you just see a bunch of trip greens driving by themselves. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm like, what is that? It tripped me out the first time I saw it. I thought my game was glitching. I was like, it's a boo. 
Yeah, because it does make you invisible. Yeah, so like from the other person's, from, you know, from the screen of the person who sees like Chip Green's just driving around, you know, floating around the track, it's hilarious. It's, it's really well implemented when you see it. Invisible and uh, invincible. Um, and as far as the feather, I like the feather, but the feather is one of, it's a skill item to say the least. You have to have a really good amount of skill to make sure that either you A, use it to evade properly because I used it to evade and actually hindered myself by going deeper into, you know, whatever item was about to hit me or you have to just time that jump so that you can either steal the balloon or steal the coins or the shine. You have to, it's a precision item which makes it one of the best skilled items after the green shell, in my opinion. You're gonna hit nail somebody with a green shell. You either have to anticipate where they're gonna be or be following pretty close to where they currently are. So one of the better skill items, in my opinion. I agree. Um, I kind of miss AIDS, not gonna lie. You know, uh, was that, a, did that debut on the Wii? That debuted on the Wii. So, so when I say AIDS, I mean the uh, cloud of death that everyone likes to pass on to everyone else that makes you go, makes you drive faster, but eventually it's going to zap you and, and shrink you. And uh, I, I miss that because it is funny to have a double-edged item like that that can help you, but that you eventually want to bump into someone and give it to them because it's going to hurt you more than it helps you if you don't give it away. Again, another one of those skill items because you want to use it up until the point where it benefits you, and then you want to get rid of it. I just, I just missed that item. It was such a good item. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of press about uh, the auto acceleration and the smart steering, especially in the way that it helps younger children play the game without being so frustrated. Um, I, I have played Mario Kart games with younger children before, and I will say that it is a little disheartening to see a kid um, not be able to finish a race when, when the, you know, he's so far in, in last place that the race ends before he can cross the finish line. I think this, um, although you do have to remember to turn it off because it's automatically enabled when you start the game, I do, I like it. I really like the fact that this, this makes the game more accessible to children. No, and it, it, it's excuse me, it's really brilliant implementation of uh, the, the the design of the game. Mario Kart games can be notoriously hard. I mean, now they do scale upwards. I mean, you start at fifty CC, and you're supposed to kind of build yourself up to those faster courses, uh, 100, 100, 150, 200. You're supposed to work your way up to that. But I mean, the problem with it is. Even though the game scales, I don't think it necessarily scales appropriately. Uh, I think 50cc is so easy. And, you know, my fiance is playing. This is her first Mario Kart game, and she finds 50cc easy. But once she starts getting into, you know, the higher speeds, it becomes a little brutal, especially once you get to 150cc, where the CPUs are starting to think more or behave more like people and you you know the speed you know again it's hard to determine a drift if you're basing it off of what you're seeing in 50cc because you're not necessarily going to start a drift 
in 150 cc where you would start it in 50 cc because in 50 cc you can start that drift a lot earlier or later well and, yeah you, you, and take full command of it exactly in 50 cc i mean i i i went through all the tracks in 50 cc and 100 cc i'm currently on 150 cc right now and in 50 it does 50 cc i just did it to get familiarization with the course it doesn't really help you with with the the drift though because you're right like i I would have to start my drift really late because it's so slow that you really don't need it until the end of the turn. Whereas when you're on 150 cc, man, the, the drifts come short and they come early. Yeah, determining when to drift based on the modes is is completely different. And I'm currently trying to three star 200 cc mode, which I'm gonna give myself great hairs doing this. But it's even it's even further heightened. Um, that ability to know when to drift. In fact, drifting at all in 200cc is a choice that you really have to make in advance of that turn. You have to know where the turn is and determine whether or not the risk versus reward of performing the drift is something you want to take part of. There are certain courses I will not drift in 200cc whatsoever. Uh, the Luigi's Mansion stage. I refuse to drift on that stage because at 200 cc it is so fast that you're gonna more often than not you're gonna miss time the drift and there's a lot of hard 90 degree turns in that stage so drifting really ends up what, what happens when you try to drift in that stage is you're gonna face plant into the wall you're gonna hinder yourself so I refuse to drift on that course I just beat that course three stars and it took me 14 tries which course was it? That the Luigi's Mansion course. To get to do that that uh that cup took me fourteen tries. Man, that's crazy because uh that's that's not even one of the hardest tracks. No, but it's got because all the turns on that stage are basically ninety degrees, mm -hmm. when you perform that drift, it's a lot in two hundred cc it's a lot harder to gain control of the drift. So I always end up drifting too wide and face planting. So yeah, I've done a few 200cc tracks just out of curiosity, but but right now because I'm still trying to unlock everything at 150, I haven't raced it. Uh, I haven't raced every course, and I, I definitely haven't raced it as much as you have. And, but but I have noticed that like, I mean, when they say braking is is required, braking really is required. You you know normally in a Mario Kart game, if you're braking, I feel like you're making a mistake because you didn't drift properly. But in 200cc. It's just so fast that, I mean, it really is like a, a, a master's mode where I think Nintendo kind of threw that in there for the, uh, the diehard fans to say, hey, look, we're giving you a mode that really takes out um, as much of the element of luck as, as we can for a Mario Kart game. You know, Mario Kart will never really be a, uh, an eSports game because... It's always a, a very more friendly competitive game. Um, but, I mean, if you really wanted to have a racing tournament with your friends to see who is the best, I mean, 200cc would be the way to go. Yeah, so when, when we to tie this back into the, the kid-friendly assist, um, like the auto acceleration of Smart Steering, it's important to note that when you play online in Mario Kart 8, it cycles between 100 and 150cc. You have no idea which one of those speeds it's going to pick 
until it's picked that speed. And since you'll never have the option of playing at, you know, 50cc or 200cc or mirror mode online, it, based on the speed, it's going to determine, you know, a newer player or a younger player's ability to adapt to the online playstyles. Online modes are already, people are vicious when they're playing online. They, they just are. I mean, it's not through it's not through malicious intent. It's just that's the nature of a, of a game like Mario Kart. Sometimes, sometimes it feels that way. But I mean, when you realize that everybody's just playing the game to win and enjoy it, it's not really malicious unless you've actually pissed somebody off a few times. But it makes it harder for those kids to get in the game and having the uh, smart steering, especially the ability to not fall off the course. Um, it makes it a lot more fun for you know a younger player or a newer player. Um, that being said, though, I tried racing with these modes. I've been playing Mario Kart since the first game. I could not adjust myself to smart steering. It it made me feel out of control to a degree, but that's because when I play Mario Kart, I am playing at a higher level than somebody who would need these things. Well, honestly, there have been some times where I wish I had it on, like when I fall off the stage, but um, at the end of the day, smart steering uh, hinders your ability to take the shortcuts because especially in stages, like I didn't realize it was enabled when you first bought the game, so I didn't turn it off because I didn't know it was on. And uh, I was trying to take the uh, shortcut in the, uh, the DK Jungle 3DS stage. And um, I didn't take the shortcut cleanly. I actually kind of um, took it to where I would have to drive off-road just slightly. But because of the smart steering, it wouldn't let me drive off-road. And so I couldn't take the shortcut. It was like hitting an invisible wall. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? And I thought it was a glitch in the game. But it was because I had the smart steering on. So... Um, it's not just preventing you from falling off the stage. It's actually preventing you from going off-road, which if you don't take a shortcut um, perfectly, it's you're not going to be allowed to do it. And if you have a shortcut where um, that requires a mushroom, I've never tried using the shortcuts with the mushrooms with smart steering on, but I don't think it would let you... Based on that, I don't think you would be able to do it. You, you wouldn't be because most of those shortcuts require a complete off-road. Right. Driving. Um, not only that, but it actually hinders your ability to race at a higher level. They they added a new uh, drift uh, boost. Yeah, the super drift. Yeah, the, with, super the, with the purple spark or something. Yeah, you cannot actually accomplish that that uh, that boost uh, with the smart steering on it. So, to some degree, it will hinder you once once you start to become more adept at the game. It would become a hindrance because you're just yeah. not going to be able to to perform all of the techniques that you would if you were racing unencumbered with you know these uh these additions. Yeah, and there are a lot of now that I think about it, there are a lot of shortcuts in the game that that require you to go off road where you actually need a, a mushroom or a boost item to uh, to do that, and so you wouldn't be able to do that with smart steering. Um, so yeah. It, it, I don't think it really um, hurts the game at all. I don't think when I race online with, with someone who has smart steering, I don't feel like they have like an advantage. I just think it's a great mode for, for kids. Um, now, the ability to, to uh, change carts in the lobby is a welcome addition. I actually haven't used it um, 
very much because most of the time when I select my cart feature, I don't change it very off often. I'm still unlocking pieces, so maybe that will change down the road when I've unlocked everything. But I, I wanted to bring this point up because um, in Splatoon, I do frequently need to change my weapon and is, is or, or my loadout because in Splatoon, it's very stage-specific. Um, will Do you think this will carry over into Splatoon? Do I think it will? No. I just do not have a lot of uh, faith in Nintendo's ability to completely build a, a fully encompassing online uh, infrastructure in all of their games. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, it's just that Nintendo's still learning when it comes to things like this, so I don't always trust them to make the best decisions. I really hope. I that hope they it's do there. Because I hope I, it's there. I honestly like you know when when you are doing a a, a you know a, a team battle and, and you're in like the your team lobby you can you can change it between the matches but you know when we would go and do like a, a public room turf war I hated having to leave the room just because I wanted to change a weapon or like I wanted to change my shoes and then I had to go and and um you know, sit there and, and wait for your match to be done when I came back in the room. I I really hope that they add it. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that they should be able to. I mean, this is something that other online shooter games have been doing for a while now, is the ability to change your loadout. In, in, it's nice. And it's nice that it's in Mario Kart, but it's, again, like you, it's a theme that I don't use frequently. I, I pretty much know which card I'm going to use based on the speed that I've selected. And I don't need to change those features frequently. And it's nice that it's there, but it's just not something that I'm doing frequently enough for it to be truly beneficial yet. In a game like Splatoon, it needs to be there. Right. I just don't I just don't have that level of confidence in Nintendo's ability to, to deliver on that yet. And that's that's kinda sad. It's kinda sad but it's 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 honestly it's it's the truest thing I can say, and I'm not trying to to degrade Nintendo or you know say bad things about them. It's just that this is still new for them, so let's just hope that they're listening to the community when it comes to these things. Right. So before we get into our next talking point, were there any because there were there are a lot of changes. Uh, I didn't want to go over every single one, but um, were, is there anything else that they the added to the game that you wanted to highlight? Uh, the U-turns in battle mode. Um, depending on the mode, that becomes way more useful. I'm glad it's not there in the uh, primary racing mode, but in battle mode, that is really useful, especially in a mode like Shine Thief, when you know everybody's actually chasing you down. The funniest thing you can do is hit that U-turn button, watch everybody zoom past you, and then drive back in the direction you came from. I do that all the time in Shine Thief, and that's usually why I win Shine Thief. Is because I've evaded just by using that U-turn and being able, you know, or have and having a weapon like Trip Green. So like, if somebody is trying to bombard me with an item, I'm kind of protected. So I hit that U-turn and I just go off in the other direction, and it's hilarious because I'm like, wow, y'all just went that way. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good feature. I, I've used it just in like balloon battle when 
someone is stalking me from behind, and I'm like, you know, who hit me? And then, like, you know, immediately we're face-to-face, and I, like, throw my green shell at them or something. Um, yeah, that, that actually is a, a pretty big game-changer for battle mode. Um, but with that said, um, I... I hate to bring it up, but I want to move on to online bugs because in Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U, surprisingly, the online mode was pretty flawless. Never ever got disconnected. It was easy to connect with your friends. But unless you're connecting in a private room with your friends, it is almost impossible to connect to someone you've raced with. If you go down the list of of people you've raced with and you want to get back into a room to get revenge with somebody or you just want to connect to your friend who's in a public room, most of the time, it comes up with that error code of, of something like, um, can't connect to the target. Yeah, actually, you know what? Let me bring it up to have a picture of it. Hold on. Since I did tweet it out twice. Alright. So... The air, it brings up the error code. The target cannot accept any more connections. Please try again later. And it doesn't matter if the room is full or not. Because there have been times where I try to connect a nice one when there have been like 9 or 10 people in the room. It still doesn't let me. Um, it's a bug that I was hoping that they would already have worked out by now. Nintendo hasn't. I know that they will. But you got to remember, we're going to be paying for this online service in a couple months. And... and uh, you know, we can't, like, bugs like this are not okay, even when the online service is free. When, uh, when, when, you, when you guys start paying for it, it's just, it, it's going to become a big issue if they can't fix stuff like this. Well, the biggest problem with it is, is that it's not actually present in the Wii U version. I mean, what's, there is a spectator mode in both versions of Mario Kart 8, and it works better in Mario Kart 8. So, if the lobby was full in Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U, your friend would just wait and spectate until right. there was enough room. And this time around, they're not giving you that option. Not even. I mean, because well, it's people come and go all the time in, in those online races. And that's why I don't think it's actually because of the size of the room, even though despite what the error code says, because there, the, the times where it has worked, I've actually been able to connect to you or other people and I usually do spectate, and I'm spectating um, the race, and then I get in. But I, it, it only works like 10 to 20% of the time that I've tried to do it, that, you know, it, it'll work. But the other 80 to 90%, I, I get that error code. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to say else on that. It, it sucks. Sucks. Let's, Hopefully let's fix, fix it. it. Let's fix it. Fix it, Nintendo. All right. So... We move in to my favorite part of this episode, which is where we get to break down our top 10 favorite stages in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So, to get things started, nice one. Number 10. Number 10, Big Blue, the DLC stage. I love this stage. First off, I loved F-Zero on the Super NES. It's one of my favorite launch titles of all time and to see a course that's really paying homage 
it pays homage to, to to Big Blue in a way that Smash normally plays pays homage to the franchises that appear in this game. It's perfect, right down to the music. That that music is just so good, and there's just something really fun and and imaginative about driving down a huge water slide because that is it. Just looks so cool aesthetically. I just love it, and it feels great. And the the overall speed of the course feels amazing. Now, even if you're in 50cc, that course still feels fast, and it feels great. And I just love all the giant twists and turns that it has, and just going into the water and then watching like the water effects on the screen, like with the little drip drops of water. It's all done extraordinarily well. I love that stage. You know what? I actually have Big Blue as my number 10 as well, and I, I agree with you. It's just a fun stage. There's just something fun about the fact that, you know, there's boost panels everywhere, and when you're not on a boost panel, you are trying to get in that sweet spot where the, where the uh, water is running down the slide, and so you're always moving faster than a normal racetrack because you're either boosting or you're in that rushing little river of water throughout the whole stage as it twists and turns and it's just it's just a fun stage i agree so man let's move on to number nine rainbow road n64 uh i just love this stage i mean they it's weird though because they took a three uh they took a three uh lap stage they kind of straightened it out a little bit which is and they did it it's weird because like it is kind of it's a loop it's still a loop but they turned it into a a to b race where it's just like one lap i typically do not like the a to b races in mario kart but this one is just a lot of fun i love like the parts where you're floating through the sky i love the parts where you're just avoiding like the giant balls of death uh they just did a really good job of like making that stage fit into Mario Kart 8's world. So my number nine is the Electrodome. Uh, th this is one of those stages that kind of grew on me. Uh, I don't know if I really liked it as much at first, but it it kind of has that Tron feel where you know the the track starts to illuminate um, behind you after you've raced on it and um, in certain parts and. It just it kind of has that futuristic feel, um, and it overall just all the the neon lights and it, it's just a it's kind of like an aesthetically pretty track to race on, and, and so for me that's that's my number nine, um, number eight, Rainbow Road Super NES, just a classic stage man. I just it's just a classic stage, and I like the fact that they didn't try to make it look nice, they left it classic, and it's. Something really cool about like those hairpin turns, uh, right around the thing. I love the uh, the the star power thwomps in that stage a lot too. It's just really cool to see a thwomp that has the the, the star power. So I, I love that stage, and it's relatively short track too, so it doesn't take long to race it. But it's a lot of fun in my opinion. So for me, number eight is Wild Woods. Um, I just like the aesthetics once again. It's a pretty stage to race on. And you really get a sense of the depth perception because you kind of get a, a feel of, of the height of the track that you're racing on. Because a lot of times you're going downwards at an angle and you kind of see like, you know, how high up you are as you're racing through like, 
you know, kind of like the the, uh, the treetops, and then eventually you get down um, all the way to, to the bottom of the stage, and you're you're trying to hit the boost panels on, in the pond, and uh, you have the little toads running around everywhere, and um, it's it's just a fun stage for me too. That's why I put it at, as my number eight, um, number seven, Yoshi Valley. I love I love stages that have multiple paths, and Yoshi Valley has like five, and it's just a lot of fun because it's all like the race starts and you can choose to go in like four different directions, but then they all converge into one place, and it's just being able to which way do I go to get to that convergence point the quickest, and I love that. Uh, love seeing that giant Yoshi egg. I love messing with people and pushing them into the giant Yoshi egg. And it's one of those stages too where it's got like a lot, it's got like a couple of shortcuts and uh, really a lot of smart play on that stage can really net you a, a nice dirty victory. Not a clean victory, but a nice dirty one. Yeah, that stage has does have a lot of dirty victories. Um, for me, it's DK Jungle 3DS. In my opinion, it was the best stage on the 3DS that was original to it. And um, I race as Donkey Kong. So since the Wii, in the Wii version, I actually raced as Diddy Kong, but since they never brought Diddy Kong back for the 3DS, Wii U, and Switch versions, I've been racing as Donkey Kong, and uh, I think Donkey Kong was on the 3DS, right? Yeah. So, you know, just one of my favorite characters overall in the Nintendo universe, and I like DK Jungle because um, I think it's nice to have a stage where you don't have to have... Uh, a boost item to access the shortcuts and that stage has two shortcuts one at the beginning where you actually it's the only way to hit the um, little anti-gravity uh, panel that lets you fly over parts of the uh, of where the boost panels are as you get into the, the little ruins and then at the very end right before the finish line there is a, a part of the track that you can jump over to get uh, that second shortcut, and I think it's overall, it's a nice technically um, sound stage that, although it's difficult, it's not the it's not overly difficult like like where where Rainbow Road kind of can can be pretty daunting. It's a it's a really good stage um, for for people who are like you know pros at the game, and then even even people who are beginners. Um, and, and I, you know, for me, it, it's actually my only retro track on my, in my top ten. So, um, moving on to number six. Mario Circuit for the Game Boy Advance. They did an awesome job of completely redes redesigning this stage because it now has that part of the track that is raised upwards so that you use the anti-gravity. And then they still got like that classic oil spill that you can kind of knock somebody into if you're kind of being a jerk. It's a great stage. Another one where it's, it's short, but it's, it's done in a really clean way. And just the way they incorporated the, the, the new mechanics of Mario Kart 8 really fit well into, the, into that stage design. For me, number six is Hyrule Circuit. Um, it's a beautiful stage racing around Hyrule. The rupees were a really nice touch instead of the coins. I, I thought that was that was just you know 
just such a, a little cool little touch that they added to the stage. Um, you know, and then if you can manage to hit all of the anti-gravity boosts, uh, you can unlock that shortcut where you get to go right through the Master Sword. And uh, that's a pretty cool shortcut too. And it gives the little like the sound effects. Everything is just classic Zelda. Um, the, the stage is beautiful to race around. It's got everything. It's got, you know, they managed to incorporate um, flying and anti-gravity into a Zelda stage. And it's just, you know, a lot of fun to, to race around Hyrule. And it, it, it just really stands out for me as um, one of the best, well, actually on my list, I would say it is the best DLC stage in my opinion. So, getting a little bit more, you know, heated here. We're getting into our top five. What do you got for number five? Rainbow Road, the, the Wii U version. The new Rainbow Road designed specifically for Mario Kart 8. I love it. I love driving through a space station, man. Like, there's just something incredibly cool about that. You're driving through a friggin' space station, and it is a brutal course if you allow it to be. You can fall off that stage in so many different ways. You can bump people off. You can actually bump people off course because there are multiple branching paths in this stage as well. And if you time it right, you can push somebody to the other side because there's that one part of the road that splits off where you want to do the boost panels. And you can actually move somebody out of the way of the boost panel. It's kind of a dick move, but it's so funny when you pull it off. And it's, it's one of the longer courses too. And I really appreciate the, the, just the design choices that they made. And what's really cool about it is when you're in the higher parts of it, if you just take a moment to look at what's beneath you, you start to see like the planet and all this cool stuff under the stage that just looks really good. And the music is just so beautiful on that stage. I love that stage. Yeah, I have to admit that stage almost cracked my top 10. It was, it was hard not to include it. Um, but for me, my number five is Sunshine Airport. A lot of people uh, love this stage. It's, it's pretty much, it's a really popular stage. A lot of people have it as their number one. Um, you know, it, if you're playing in single-player mode, you can notice uh, in the beginning it, there actually is the, uh, the voice over the uh, airport intercom of announcing the flights. And it, you know, and it, and it just, it's, it's actually surprisingly a hard stage for it being the first stage in the cup. Usually the, this, the, when you race a cup, they, go, they increase in difficulty. And I find that Sunshine Airport is, is not necessarily the easiest stage to race as a the first stage but you know it's got it's got everything it's got you know beautiful scenery it's got um multiple well it, it's you're racing underneath the airplane through the airplane you get to kind of fly like you're an airplane like going up you know uh, uh, an ascending runway uh, it's just a it's it's you know a classic track i mean that's one of those tracks that is going to be a retro track in, in later mario karts Oh, number four. Dragon Driftway. Uh, I just like the way this stage looks, and I like the fact that you're driving kind of through a dead Mario boss. Uh, if you guys remember that the dragon from this game is actually from uh, Mario Galaxy, so you're basically driving through a dead dragon, which is kind of cool. 
and I just I just love the music in that game. It's so authentically, I think it's Chinese, but it it sounds so right. It's like it sounds like the music you would hear in like a Shaolin temple or something. It just sounds great. I love it, and it's just a lot of fun. I love the the twisty nature of it. I love the the hops that it has. It's it's one of the better design stages in my opinion, and I like if you pay close attention in that stage, right when you go through the dragon's mouth, if you look at the walls, there are paintings on the walls of uh, Lackey 2 doing like Kung Fu. And he's in all these different poses. And I'm like, that's just attention to detail that really doesn't need to be in the game. But the fact that it's there is incredible. So love that. For me, it's Shy Guy Falls. I really like the music on this stage, too, especially when you get to the uh, Shy Guys that are working. (laughs) I mean, it's in perfect sync with everything that's going on, and I just, I really like um, that the music for for that stage. Uh, I also like, I mean, it it really incorporates every anti-gravity feature. It's got the the anti-gravity on land, air, and water in that stage. Um, it's, it's a great stage, uh, just aesthetically. It's a really pretty stage to kind of be racing around, going over the waterfall, gliding down to the bottom, um, and then doing it all over again. Uh, you know, there are some shortcuts in the stage. Uh, you can kind of go through the cave if you if you glide um, to the top part after you get over the waterfall, I I never really get to take advantage of the uh, the other shortcut towards the end of the stage because you do need a mushroom, uh, and and I I kind of um, you know for for some of these shortcuts that require a boost, I feel like I'm missing out every time I I drive past it because I, I can't take advantage of it if I don't have the right item, but overall it's just a you know very nice looking stage sounding stage and it's one of the most uh funnest stages to race i actually like that stage a lot too it was close to cracking my top 10 but i don't know man i just always seem to get screwed during the waterfall part so i have to just it didn't make my list because that waterfall kills me i always get bumped out of the way or lightning Right as I'm about to hit that boost panel, man, I'm like, ah, no, screw it. I don't want this stage on my list. <laughs> People are mean. So what did you put for number three? Cloudtop Cruise. Oh, God. What can I say about this stage is the perfect, like, uh, mix of just hard and beautiful at the same time. Like, the shortcuts on this stage require so much precision and the fact that you can push somebody off like if two because when you hit that shortcut you i think you're still like in anti-grab mode so you're just gonna you're gonna knock each other off of those of those the, the leaves and i love the uh i love the music in that stage hands down that might be the single best track as far as uh, that might be track, not not race track, but track is in song. That may, that might be the single best song in this game. It has this great music that just feels so happy, and it just starts off kind of epic. It's like it just has this like epicness to it. And I love the fact that you actually drive 
through, you know, like the, 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 the flying ship. Uh, then you get shot out of that cannon. And then there's that one part of the course where the boost panels are either going to help you or jack you up. But the risk reward is too high. Like the reward for hitting all those boost panels is just too good to pass up the opportunity. And sometimes it screwed me because I'm like trying to get there. You know the lightning's going to strike, but you still risk it and bam, you get hit. And it sucks because you just lost the place. But it's just something so epically cool about the danger of it that you have to go for it at least. You have to make the attempt. Yeah, this is actually my number three as well. It's just, I think it has probably the second best music because I really do like Moo Moo Meadows, but, um, you know, as far as the music on that stage. But, but yeah, the music is epic. It's, like, really um, cinematic and uh, orchestral almost. And, like, you're right. The risk-reward as far as the, the lightning on the boost panels, I mean, they're, I love that stage. Um, and, and there have been times where like we've been racing and nice and we'll be like why didn't you get electrocuted i mean i have timed it sometimes to like the millisecond where the lightning will be on the boost panel and i know exactly when it's going to end and i hit that boost panel like as the lightning is like leaving it and it's just perfect timing and then at the end being able to um like i said i love shortcuts that you don't have to have a boost for um just being able to jump across those those leaves, it's it's hard because I do uh, mess up on it every now and then, and it screws me. But you know, just everything about that stage is just it's it's really amazing. And before we go on, though, what time do you have to leave? Uh, I gotta leave at at least ten forty-five. So okay, we'll try to wrap it up. Yeah. All right. So moving on, number two, Sunshine Airport is my number two. I love driving through like that stage, man. It has everything. You have the cargo bay, you have the baggage claim, you drive through the airplane at one point, you get shot up through the sky, you're watching planes take off, you're watching planes land. It's something cool. And I've always loved the stages that incorporate like real world things. So one of my favorite stages in uh, Mario Kart Wii was Coconut Mall. And another one of my favorite stages didn't crack my top ten because I chose the airport over it was the uh, the subway system. I love the stages where you're driving through like these real world like places that you could never drive through. Like there's just something fascinating about driving through all of that airport that make it feel great. Again, and it's also one of those stages that has really fun music and it's just really well designed, man. Yeah, my number two is Mount Wario. Um, it's just it, it's got everything you're 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 driving down the ice you're going through a, a canyon with water rushing through it and then all of a, you know all of a sudden like you're like skiing through the woods and you're slaloming back and forth which which is a great um almost like a tech demo-esque like exercise of just practicing your drifts back and forth through the slaloms then there's the mole hills that you're going up and down, and then boom, they shoot you through these rings that you glide through before you get to the end of the stage. And there is just so much. Even when you're when you're going through the woods, it's like if you don't get that, if you don't have a, a boost item to get the shortcut in the middle, there are still 
so many different paths, and they're not all equal. They're, if you go on the, the very outside, you'll get that boost panel through the woods, and there's just so much technicality that, to that stage. It is, it is truly a stage that you, you, um, you need to be really proficient at because there's just so many things that, that can trip you up on it. Um, and then last but certainly not least, we are getting down to our favorite track in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh man, this one, I didn't even have to think about this one too much. Hyrule Castle. Hyrule Castle is extraordinarily well designed. Everything you said about it is 100% true. Great music, great shortcuts. God, the sound effect of when you get that, when you activate that shortcut in the middle of the game, in the middle of the, the track, and you hear, you hear that, it feels right. I love the fact that the enemies that are present are also from The Legend of Zelda. Instead of like Piranha Plants, you have like, you know, the, the chopping flower from Zelda. Even the bats are different, which are just little changes that Nintendo didn't have to do. Like, the developers didn't have to make these stages that that well done. And then the rupees are also one of the coolest little touches that they could have done. Although, I wish they would have changed the color for when you get a rupee as an item. So, like, red or blue would have been a lot cooler. But, I mean, little things like that don't matter. But it's a great stage, and it, it's just, ah, probably... One of the best Mario Kart stages ever made, and it comes from the Legend of Zelda franchise. That's incredible to me, man. Yeah, it, it is. Um, number one for me is Thwomp Ruins. Uh, for me, this is, like, you know, probably the most aesthetically pretty, prettiest stage. Maybe maybe up there with, with Mount Wario, but it just... There's something for me about going through, like, driving through ancient ruins where it almost kind of kind of has a feel like it, you're, you're driving through some like Aztec or, or Mayan or Incan ruins and and uh, just you know taking screenshots around that stage too you really can see how beautiful it is and like you know how I am with shortcuts there there is a shortcut in the stage that requires a boost but there are actually three shortcuts in that stage one of them uh, you get during the second lap or third lap when uh, the kind of rolling um, stone cog opens up the, the path through the center that lets you fly over the water and around the uh, thwomp block there. And then, um, you know, there is the, the one in the beginning with, with that you need the, the boost item for. Um, and then, of course, at the end where you can kind of jump over, similar to Cloud Top Cruise where there are stone pillars that you can get, you know, shave that extra second off, and it's just, you know, it, it, to top it all off, you, you get to glide down over the, the steps of the ruins to get back down to the beginning of the stage again, and you do it all over, and for me, that is just, um, it's a joy to race that stage. Um, to, just for time purposes, I just want to um, instead of doing our, our bottom three stages, let's just do our, our least favorite stage from the game. Like, what is your your least favorite stage? Sherbert Land, man. Any stage that incorporates ice is horrible for me. I hate it, especially for me because I like to race with the cyber slick tires, which already 
you know, they lower my track, my ability for traction. Yeah. And on an ice stage, it's heightened even further, and I hate it. I'm just slipping and sliding everywhere, and it sucks. And I, I hated that stage on the 64. I hate it more here because of the ability to customize the car. Yeah, you know, ice stages in this game, I mean, like I said, with the exception of Mount Wario, in general, in the Mario Kart series, they kind of got a bad rap. They kind of suck. And you know what? Number one for me is Ice Ice Outpost. Normally, I like stages with multiple paths. I like when they give you the option to go in, in, in another direction or even two or three different directions. But this stage, to me, just feels pointless. Like, why? Why are there two paths? They're just rolling around right next to each other. You can kind of see where the... The other person is driving next to you on that path. It doesn't seem like it's doing anything well, different. There's no benefit to taking either path. In, in most of these courses, there's actually a physical benefit to taking the alternate route, and there is none in this game. Right. Uh, I mean, in that track. even for the for the stages where there there's um, no benefit, like like Sweet Sweet Canyon, which is not one of my favorite stages, but. At least they're separated from each other. So you don't see the other racer. This one is just like, why? And then it's bland. It's boring. And I hate falling from what, from the top level onto the bottom level because you just lose right. all that, that, that and, uh, momentum. And if you're going to have an ice stage, why do you have the ice stage covered by two winding you know, paths that you're not even racing. It's, you're not even taking advantage of, of the beauty of the environment anymore. Just I, I don't know. I just don't get the <laughs> point of it. Um, so, do you have a favorite Mario Kart stage overall in any game? Yes, I do, and it's one of the few stages that's actually never found its way as a retro course in any Mario Kart game. Mario Coliseum from Mario Kart Double Dash. It's actually one of the longest courses in Mario Kart history. It's so long that it only actually has two laps in Double Dash. And have you ever seen like those like ball cages where like the stuntman will drive his motorcycle like upside down through the cage? It's like driving through one of those, but you actually have to get to that point on a longer like roller coaster path. It's it's a crazy stage and it's epically long, but it was one of those stages where I'm like, again, the Mario Kart design team has always been able to blow me away, and that's a stage that has always blown me away, and it's never come back, and it needs to come back. When you think about all these retro courses that have made their way into a Mario Kart game, to see one not, that blows my mind, and I need this course back. Make it DLC, Nintendo. I will buy just that one track. For me, it's got to be Maple Tree from the Wii version. I used to hate that stage. I really did, but Nice One made me race it so many times that eventually I just grew to love it. Um... Maybe because I wasn't good at it at first. It's kind of a difficult stage, but we'll give credit to Nintendo for the for the for the Wii version of Mario Kart. When you went online, you could pick any stage you want to vote for. Now we get a choice of three or random, which I don't like. I like that in the Wii version, we could pick from any stage we wanted. You could always pick the same course over and over and over again. Now it doesn't mean it's going to pick you every time, but it just means that the favorites were chosen more frequently, and sometimes in the in the um, Mario Kart 8, you, you kind of have to choose between a bad selection of, you know, maybe like three stages you don't really like. But Maple Truway overall, well-designed, beautiful stage to race. I really like the feel of, you know, the fall leaves and, 
and uh, the Wigglers, the Wigglers, and then just how this, you know, you could hit them with a star, and then they'd get all red and mad at you. No, and, the best part about that stage is that shortcut right at the starting line. Yes, and, and uh, you know, that's that, that was, like, kind of like one of those, like, you don't, you don't realize it, but but it does save you a lot of time. Oh, and it's so perfect because I remember the first time I did that to you, like, where are you going? I'm yeah. Like, and I just wouldn't tell you. I made it so miserable. I was like, I eventually told you. Well, and then the, the, the little bushels of leaves. Um, that hide the mushrooms. That hide the mushrooms. Sometimes they hide a star. And they're right there on a straightaway, which allows you to take advantage of if the item pops up. Unlike the Animal Crossing stage, you're not going at an angle. So you can kind of hit those items. And exactly. It, it helps you. And uh, anyway, overall, that's my number one stage. Um... I think both of us are, are definitely in a you know consensus that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is the best overall game. Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. It takes everything that the franchise has done throughout its like, 25 year history and it blows it up to epic proportions. And it fixes the mistakes that you know Mario Kart 8 had. It just overall, I couldn't imagine playing another Mario Kart 8 game and I don't know how they're going to talk it. I honestly don't either, so unless you have any closing thoughts, I mean, I think that's a good place to end the show. Absolutely, man. No, I mean, guys, like this, you already know, hit us up on our social media link. Enter this contest, guys. I want to give this stuff away. I want you guys to have it. Like I said, E3 predictions, hit us up. Best one, you win the Happy Meal toys, and you win the Light Up Necklaces. I have nothing else to say, Mario. You already know, guys. Stay... Fresh. Stay fresh. Do some